Hey guys, in this episode, we're back with Tori Kopke, my very first business coach, to talk about the idea of reverse engineering goals. Now, that might sound super woo-woo and a bit far-fetched for you if you haven't come across this term before, but I can almost guarantee that once you realize how this works and how it can play out in your business, you're going to be kicking yourself that you weren't implementing this sooner. What sounds like a really woo-woo headspace sort of strategy Um, is actually a really practical nuts and bolts way of moving the needle in your business and engineering growth and getting ahead. Um, It's also a way to make those big, bold dreams that we have actually achievable when we chunk them down into yearly, monthly, weekly, and daily goals. Um, And I'm really glad to be having this conversation with Tori because it was with her during my first one-on-one business coaching experience that I got to understand how this works and how it actually plays out in a growing business. This is another chat with Tori that I can't wait to share with you guys. She's fantastic. She's practical. She's down to earth and she gets what it means to be running a business in a small town trying to make a big difference. Let's not take any longer. Let's just jump straight in. You're listening to Taking Back Joy, a more than marketing podcast. This is where we dive into how to market your regional and rural small business sustainably without being stuck to your screen. I'm your host, Meredith Page, and I was born and raised in a small town full of fantastic small businesses. And now I'm doing the same with my own family. I'm a marketing coach, a mum and a wife, and I want to share with you everything I've learned and I'm still learning about juggling a family, business growth, mental well-being and healthy boundaries. Here we market smarter, not harder, so we can take the busyness out of our businesses. If you're running a small business, raising small humans and trying to make a big difference in a small town, you're in the right place. This is Taking Back Joy. Tori, I really would love to just dive straight into this because I know you've got so much to offer. So could you give the poor people that have never heard of you, which I can't believe they still exist, could you give those poor unfortunate souls a wrap of just what it is that you do and who it is that you serve? Yeah, definitely. So I'm Tori Kopke. I am a business coach. I live on our family farm in the wheat belt of Western Australia. So we're about 25 Ks from the closest town. I've got two little boys. And yeah, I work with rural and regional women all over the country to help them grow their businesses and help them make a bigger impact in their own community, whether that be online or offline. And um, as someone who's worked with Tori before, I can 100% attest to the effectiveness of what she does. And so one of the one things I wanted to pick your brain about in this episode, and one of the processes that I really got to walk the walk on when you and I did one-on-one coaching together was this idea of reverse engineering goals. And it's a concept where like, once you do it, you almost want to slap yourself for going, why haven't I been thinking about stuff like this the whole time? Like, it seems incredibly obvious. But when we worked together, you really helped me kind of identify like the big, bold sort of vision and then work backwards from that. So could you talk to me a little bit about how you would explain, I guess, the concept of reverse engineering goals for those who were like, what? I don't have time for that. Yeah, absolutely. So first off, I think too many people in business for themselves are like, I don't need goals. I just want to make as much money as possible. Yeah, and so they're just, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, just more money. I just want to make more money. I don't, I don't have any numbers around it. I, I want all the money, which 
you know what? That is the fastest way to burn out. Whereas if you can set some goals where it's like, okay, you know what, for this week, I, or this month, I only need five of whatever it is. And you hit that five and then you can celebrate and you're like, yep, I hit my goal. Like there's so many benefits to having goals, but in terms of taking your big vision and then working backwards. So I like to think, um, I kind of work on what is my, for new businesses, brand new businesses. I like to think about your three-year goals. So what is, what is it you want to accomplish in the next three years? So who are the people that are going to be supporting you in your business in three years time? What are your services or your products look like? What does your day look like as the CEO of that business? And then when we can start with those kind of foundational things, and then we start working backwards so that we get to the point where we're thinking about our annual income goal, and then we break it down across 12 months, and then we work out how many services or products, how many offers essentially we have to sell in a month that'll help us get to that 12 month goal. It's, it is amazing when you like, when you stop and think about it and you check yourself and you just like, okay, could people sort of write this goals mentality off as woo woo? They don't realize that it. it's like goals is almost like budgeting for both your, your time, your energy, your marketing, your, you know, your income. And so yeah, when, it, when you're constantly spinning your wheels trying to do more, you're 100% right, you burn out. Whereas I found when I kind of figured, okay, what's the magical number I want to earn? Because we did a podcast about this on your show where I was like, I was chatting to my accountant one day and he's like, all right, what's the goal for next year? I'm like, well, 120 grand. Why? Because that's 10 grand a month. And then I just sort of said it without thinking about it. And then I was like, what does 10 grand a month look like? And as I was driving home, I was like, that's actually not that big a deal. Like the minute you start thinking like that and you work backwards from like, well, I know I make this much out of this product and this service. So if I sold that many of those, I know I've got this many hours in the week, that takes that much. I could actually do that. Like it's, it, it's, it's mind blowing sometimes how achievable this big. Oh, it makes it so much more achievable. And I think that it's so much less intimidating when we have it in little bite-sized chunks instead of this big giant number. And it becomes something that you're like, okay, actually I can do that. I can totally do that. And so we're not trying to, yeah, chase this big number. We're just chasing these small little numbers that are really achievable. And then eventually it all compounds and, you know, then we're hitting big goals and we're like, woo. Mm. But I think something that people don't look at is, you know, celebrating every client. Like that is one client's closer to your goal. So especially people that are new in business that I work with and they're like, oh, I only turned over, you know, two grand this month. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that is two grand closer to your goal. Congratulations. Um, I have some clients that say I'm their big, loud Texan cheerleader because I get so excited <laughs> about when we <laughs> accomplish goals. But, you know, every single milestone I think needs to be celebrated along the way. I think one of the headspace shifts that you need to also make around money as well is money isn't the end it's the means to the end so I think that was like what I had to then stack on top of that it's like well what do I need to be comfortable what what does comfortable look like for me in terms of like a reg what does a regular week in the life of Meredith look like ideally how much time do I spend with my kids what do I have time to spend with myself can I go for a walk every day like all that should then play into all right well what how much time do I have left how much money do I need to make each week What's that amount of money divided by that many hours? Okay, cool. Well, that's that's my starting point, I guess. But I feel like it's got to factor in all these other non-negotiables outside the financial space. 
again, it's that getting caught in the daily doing. You've also got to be mindful of the fact that we're all in industries that don't stand still. Like the world doesn't stand still. So you've also got to allow yourself the time and breathing room to be able to get your head up out of your work every so often and look around at what's just going on in your field and going, oh, that that might be worth exploring. And then also making sure you've got the time and the energy to go down these rabbit holes to see well, what's happening in my industry, what's coming. Rather than worrying about staying out in front of change, how can I be change? Like how can I be the front? Because we obviously, I think a lot of us go into business for ourselves because we notice something's missing initially that we think could be done better or we feel like there's a, just a slicker way of doing it. So we, a lot of us come into business. I mean, you've also got tradies who just realise that there's better money to be made taking out the middleman. But you've also, I think all of us are responsible for making sure, okay, what what are we doing differently? Why should people be choosing us? And you need space for those kinds of thoughts. Absolutely. I think some of the greatest innovation comes from the private industry. And that's just solely based on the fact that we're building ourselves this breathing room that you're not going to see if someone is a nine to five employee. I mean, can you imagine if you're a nine to five employee and your boss walks in and they say, what are you doing? And you say, Oh, I'm just daydreaming about the future. Like I, <laughs> that's not allowed. Whereas as the boss, you're allowed to yeah. do that. The boss, you can spend that half space. an hour in the shower thinking about stuff because that's work. If you're in the shower at work for 30 minutes, what are you doing? Oh, just planning. No, get your clothes back on and get back to work. We don't do that here. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, and I also think it's really important if you build in and recognize when you are going to, you know, do that kind of aspirational thoughts and have those big vision uh, moments. So for me, I know that showers are great. I also know that on walks are great driving. I do a lot of driving. So if I happen to be in the car by myself without children, you guarantee my brain is off a million miles away. I am just figuring out what the next big thing is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's really about wrenching yourself out of that punch in, punch out mentality where it's like, oh, I did eight hours today. Great. It's like, yeah, but like, were they eight hours that moved the needle? What are they moving their needle towards? And again, I don't, I, like I've said this in previous episodes, I don't want this to sound like a female specific problem or a female specific issue, but I sometimes wonder when we don't do this goal setting work, we rob ourselves of actually thinking about these big, bold visions for ourselves and then actually breaking it down into actionable steps. Like when we don't think about the middle bit as to like where we are now, this crazy dream that we have, if you actually do it and go through the process, you might realize, okay, what I need to do next week as part of that long series of events is actually pretty doable and like if I keep doing the thing each week I might actually get that crazy cool lifestyle I want yeah absolutely because if we have this big dream and we haven't done kind of the bite-sized planning that's going to get us there then we're going to be constantly kind of looking at this aspiration and finding it too hard to achieve whereas if we start with the big goal and then we break it down we've actually got to break it down we've got to do the reverse engineering then it makes it so much more achievable. But like I said, it's got to be, it's not just about the numbers. It's also about mm. the people around you, the system supporting you, the offers that you have. You know, um, if you are a brick and mortar, it's got to be like, what is the space you're occupying? There's so many things that you have to factor in. But, you know, maybe it the action you're taking is you're going and looking at that building across the street that's twice the size. Maybe that is the action that you're taking that's going to put you where you need to be in the future. And so 
yeah, sometimes it's just about figuring out what your mindset is around these goals, what the goals are, and then taking the action to actually get you there. So when you work with a new client, where, where does the goal setting rock? Because I can't remember because our, our one-to-one was a while ago. So refresh my memory, whereabouts in the process do you start going, okay, well, we need to set some goals here. Is it fairly early on or do you do a bit of like triage work first and then goals? Uh, usually it's kind of our first session that we do our goal setting. Um, I figure out where, where your business wants to go, like what's the big driver. And then if we need to do some triage work, we do, but usually I want to know like, what's the vision? What are we doing with your business? What's, what does success look like for you? What do you want to accomplish in the next six months? And that way we can be really effective with the time that we spend together so that we're Mm. actually drawing towards that goal instead of just kind of going, Oh, what'd you do last week? So that I can make sure that what you did last week is actually pushing us forward to that, that big goal that we have. So say if you had a new client and they, this was all completely foreign language to them. What if, what if they were sitting there and going like, and they were still in that more money mindset and they turned around and said, well, I don't know, I guess I just, yeah, more, more money than what I'm making now. But as we've just discussed, it's not that easy. So what do you do to start drawing the right answers out of people as to, and how do you get them to start conceptualizing what it is they actually want? So I think that comes down to a few things. That's where I really like to think about the day in the life. So what do you want a standard day in life to look like? What do you want a work day to look like? Um, And so I think it's those really pointed questions that are really quite specific that have to make them visualize what it's going to be. Because, you know, a million dollar business sounds great, but what does a million dollar business actually look like to your Mm -hmm. day, to your life? Like, do you have to move to do that? Do you have to change big things? Is it going to challenge your value? So I think I like to be really specific about like, what does a day look like? And then that helps us as well, identify kind of where can they maximize their own impact when they're working in their zone of genius. It's going to help us get to that big giant goal. Does your marketing feel less like a fun way to talk about your business and more like a really hard job that you're avoiding? Well, did you know that you could be automating large parts of your small business marketing so you could focus on the bits you love, like sharing information, educating your customers, and showing them all the fun and cool ways they can do business with you? Well, I've put together a free PDF guide showing you all my go-to apps for small business marketing on autopilot. Yes, that's right. You can put large parts of your small business marketing completely on autopilot so they can be working for you 24-7 while you sleep, while you're spending time with your family, or while you're serving customers, or even just spending time on a bit of self-care. <laughs> Jokes, we, we don't have self-care around here. But you should. So how are you going to get started doing that? Well, the next best step is to start automating parts of your marketing. If you want to know more about how you can get your hands on my guide, head over to my website, go to the resources section and pop your details in. I'll send one straight to your inbox. That's my free downloadable PDF with my go-to apps for small biz marketing on autopilot. Head over to the website and grab yours now. Yeah, it's a, it's a yeah, it's almost like casting the fishing line out, you know, and then sort of working your way backwards from that. Um, I'm guessing, yeah, limiting beliefs probably crop up a lot at this point too, don't they? So, what are sort of like some common ones you see people talking? Almost, they automatically start talking themselves out of the vision. Yeah, I think a lot of people start 
immediately when you start saying like, you know, six figure, multi six figure million dollars, they start going, Ooh, I'm not good at money. I'm not good at business. I don't know these things. Like these just preconceived ideas that have absolutely no basis. They're just Mm -hmm. things that they've kind of been ingrained with, or someone has told them before and they're taking it as truth. Whereas if you actually look at the facts and that's what I like to do when it comes to kind of mindset is like, let's say, and I, mindset is such a buzz trigger word, but I think really what it is, it's that internal personal development. It's Mm. the work that we do on the inside that someone can't necessarily teach us. So that mindset work is about, let's separate the, the fact from whatever it is our brain's telling us. So the facts are probably, you know what, you you might have 10 years experience in your field. You know, you might have some really fantastic qualifications. You have raving customers. Maybe you need an accountant to support you. Maybe you need a business coach to support you. So maybe you need some other people to support you, but the facts are you're actually doing what you're doing for a reason. You're actually probably really good at it. And so I think that mindset shift of identifying what are the facts in this situation? And then what is just this negative Nancy on my shoulder, my brain telling me, Mm -hmm. um, and so yes, separating kind of the facts from the emotional side of it is really important. Do you feel like it was funny? I was actually just talking to um, a client of mine earlier about this. She's an accountant, and she but she has this holistic view to accounting and everything as well. She was saying you almost can't help but go into a bit of Doctor Phil mode in these conversations. Like you can't look at your your business, where you want it to go, what's holding you back, without doing a, a bit of inner work and realizing that there could be people, there could be preconceived notions that could actually be holding you back. So I think mediating someone, someone that's really challenged by their own mindset is it's tricky, but usually I like to say, okay. And I like to catch their thoughts as they're speaking. So I like to say, actually, let's hold that thought. What if we reversed it? And so that's one of my favorite things is like, let's play with reversing it. So if they say I'm really bad with money, I like to say, wait, let's just catch that thought. What if we say I'm really good with money and I use an accountant to support me, or I'm really good with money and I have a really fantastic budget. So I like to catch the thought while they're speaking, because I think that that can be a lot more effective than trying to analyze it afterwards and then try to bring Mm. it up in a future session. So I like to just kind of say pause and like, oh, let's catch that thought. I'm not sure that's that thought is serving you best. And I'm actually not sure that that thought is true. Yeah. It's like, cause I had this, I had the exact same thing with money and, um, after sort of doing a bit of like my own mental detective work, I realized that it was coming from this place of in my situation, in like my personal finance situation, my husband, a while ago, we got, we decided that the best thing was to pull our funds, join account. And he made a lot of the key sort of decisions. Like we talked about it and he let me know what he thought was a good idea, but he very much led from the front because he's very good with money. And like, he's very astute. It isn't, wasn't like a, gender roles traditional specific thing it was more of a case of he just bubbled to the top as being of the two of us he was much better at it and he's put us in a really good position because of it but ever since we did that mentally I'd kind of checked out of being good with money like at that point it was kind of like I resigned myself to I'll assume the position of being the one that's rubbish at it because you're good at it and so 
I would then, because I think in my personal finances before I started working for myself 100%, because I defaulted to his um, sort of better knowledge and better kind of understanding of how the finances worked, I kept discounting my own. And so when it got to the point where my business was growing and I needed to get a better handle on money, one of the big blocks I had was like, not only, oh, I'm not I'm not the one that's good with money, like I was expecting someone else to show up and be good at money um, because my, my husband has only had an Instagram account that's about 18 months old. That's how much he probably understands of what I actually do. Um, and even then, he's, <laughs> even then he's like, like, how do I follow this person? Like they're selling a supplement I want. How do I follow them? And I'm like, okay. So like, like, and he's very proud of the fact when he forwards an email by himself and he uses capital letters and everything. <laughs> so that's how much he understands my space. Um, so he doesn't, he's not really involved in the business for me at all. And so I, one of the big blocks I had to get over was like, I'm not going to screw it up. I actually know what I'm doing and I'm not going to let him down because they were the three things I was worried about. I was worried about, okay, he's not seeing this. He's not checking my work. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm going to let him down. And none of that was coming from him at all. Like it was so nice. We were having a conversation like just last night and we were talking about some of the big crazy things we'd like to do over the next three to five years. And he's always, he's always sometimes a realist to the point of a pessimist. And so I'm like, I said, like, he was like, oh, look, if we do that, if we do A, we won't be able to do B, you know, like we'll have to kind of pick and choose. So I said, screw it. What if we do both? Like I said, look at what we're doing now. Could you have imagined all what, like the stuff that's going on for us now? I said, like, look at everything that's going on. Like, oh, this wasn't me going, yeah, look at me. But I'm like, I would not have imagined the quality of clients I'm working with, the quality of money and the quality of income I'm making right now. I said, three years ago, I couldn't have imagined this. And he's like, three years ago, I had every confidence you were going to be able to do this. And I'm like, Um, I think that that's so true that when we have that kind of default person that we, and it's not just money, but that default person that we take advice from, Mm. that it can be really easy for us to kind of just assume that they're correct and follow that direction. I remember five years ago, I was talking to my husband, I need to get a virtual assistant. And he was like, why do you need a VA for? Like, what do you need that for? You, you have enough time to do everything. And I was like, he's right. You know, I don't mm-hmm. need a VA. I do have enough That's time. So Whereas in my brain, <laughs> yeah. In my, yep. what I really needed was I needed more time and space to open up my business, to allow me to create new things, to allow me to grow. Mm. And I think for about, it was a solid six months where I was like, he's right. I don't need a VA. And so that's where I think we have to use a lot of caution. Not Mm. only is it who we're taking advice from and the assumptions that we're making, but we need to be, yeah, we need to think about, is that person actually in my shoes and do they know the truth and do they have all the facts Mm. about my business? And so, because I think it's so easy, you know, we've got friends that aren't in business that like to dish out advice, you know, we're listening to podcasts, we're consuming information over there and we're like, Ooh, that could apply to my business. And so we can consume a lot. And then that can actually distort as well. The facts that are within our business. I think we need to apply like the parenting context to it because a lot of people that I work with and listen to this are parents running businesses. Would you take parenting advice from someone who doesn't have kids? Because my God, we've all received it, but would you take it on board? No, you probably sort of go, thanks, I'm going to file that in the big round filing cabinet on the floor, but thanks for putting it out there. Um, so I think we need to be very discerning into as to who we take advice from in business. But I think we also need to keep having these conversations, especially like, I mean, like, obviously, if you've got a supportive partner who's just asking the the devil's advocate questions, I think 
we need to look at them and this is what I started doing it's more not necessarily them giving them advice it's them giving you the opportunity to justify it so look at it I would look at it as an opportunity to go well actually like oh actually I'm going to invest in this and like I've done this research and like I've seen this person doing it they followed this kind of framework I think that would work for me and you're not only justifying it to them you're solidifying that decision to yourself as well and you as you're speaking you're realizing everything that you've read and absorbed and listened to is actually coming together in this decision. You don't immediately go, oh, no, yeah, you're right. I probably shouldn't invest in that. It's like, well, hang on. This person's doing it. This person's doing it to success. This person costs this much. I've done this cost-benefit analysis quickly going, well, this is how much time. Like, Graham's, my husband's got an uncle um, who's also very financially astute, and he calls it like he's 10. He, he was refers to like he's 10 questions. And one day I'm like, what are, you, what are these magical 10 questions that you ask people? And he's like, they're not specific questions. It's just like essentially like 10 hoops. If you can jump through the 10 hoops and still think your ideas are going out the other side, good, do it. And I'm like, I think it's so powerful having someone in your space who is willing to make you jump through these really technical holes, not because they want to poke holes in your ideas and make you feel crap, because they're helping you really justify out loud whether it's a good idea, what parts might need a bit more investigation, maybe there's some bits that could be refined. It's more like R&D for ideas. It's not about tearing your ideas apart. I think you need the right person to do that for you. Yeah, and I think that that, whether it be, you know, a partner, a business coach, a colleague, you know, maybe someone that's in a similar space, peer-to-peer coaching, Um, I think what's important is that you realize that not every idea is a good idea and that you can put it through a filter and you can start kind of saying, okay, actually this idea does not hold water and you can let those ideas go that way. At the end of the day, you're focusing Mm. on the ones that are really going to help you grow and achieve the goals that you're setting out to achieve. Yeah. I think it's definitely, it's that balance of like being really confident in what you know and what you do and who you are, but also not getting precious about which things are and aren't a good idea. Like good people have crap ideas all the time. It is what it is. It doesn't make you a bad person. Yeah, there's absolutely no moral standing in your ideas. Ideas are ideas. Some of them make us money. Some of them are awful. And so I think it's, um, and and I honestly, there's no moral standing in in tied to the results of your business as well, which I think people, a lot of people get caught up in when it comes to, you know, maybe selling, they're feeling very morally attached to, oh, someone said no to a quote that has absolutely no morals. It just means that they said no to a quote. And I think a lot Mm -hmm. of people can get a bit caught up in that too. Yeah. It doesn't mean you should immediately drop your price. It doesn't mean that you should immediately add more to the quote. If you believe in that package being of enough value that you will quite happily give 120% to that job, they weren't the right fit. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I think it's really important to understand that there is a difference between um, someone saying no and then actually someone saying no because of um of you I Mm -hmm. at the end of the day it's not about you it's about them and again coming back to like your non-negotiables and the things that you sort of craft your goals around that then makes it easier to in these one-to-one conversations figure out what's what's going on so like websites for example with what I do websites are very much like people can pay 500 bucks for them people can pay five grand for them there is no real industry regulation as to 
how much they should cost, what's involved, what kind of support you should get. Very, very gray area. So for me, it's like I had to get really clear on, okay, this is what I think is important to offer the client for these reasons. Like a lot of mine is about making sure the client can run the website so they're not tied to me as a service provider. It should look this way. It should provide this functionality for them and to do all that and give everything and and the kitchen sink and feel like I've over-delivered, I would put this price price point on it. This is what I feel comfortable doing it. Now, I have had people turn around and go, well, I can get a website for 500 bucks. And early days, I'd be like, I'll do it for 500 bucks. But like, no, I, I, I can't. That's, that's not me. And if... And nine times out of 10, if you want to pay 500 bucks for a website, I will see you in six months after you realize that was a bad idea. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's just really important that we pick our our prices, that we select our prices based upon what our overall goals are. Mm -hmm. Because if you want to make six figures, a $500 package, you're going to have to sell a lot of those, a whole lot of those to get to six Mm -hmm. figures. And so it's not just about um, what our audience thinks that we should pay, but it's also about what our, what our audience wants to pay, but it's about our overall goals. And so I think when deciding your packages and looking at your pricing, you need to think, okay, how many of these things do I want to sell to reach what my big goal is? Yeah, it helps you kind of land somewhere in the middle, doesn't it? Because it kind of like range finding exercises where it's like, okay, well, I've got this much time, like this, this thing takes me this much, this much time to produce. So realistically, I can, can maximum can do maybe say 10, um, say 10 of the, whatever it is a month. It's like, well, that would mean the minimum price it needs to be is this, but the maximum price it could be based on what I know my client would be willing to pay for this is this. So I've actually got a bit of play in the middle here. Could I, rather than sort of charging the bare minimum, I need of X per monthly goal divided by 10, I know my clients will, I know they could justify paying more than that because that's what the market's doing, or I do these value adds, or I do this differently, which provides this benefit. So then it gives you this nice margin. You can then work your way through and go, okay, well, I feel comfortable charging this much for it based on what I know I'm bringing to the table here. And that's exactly it. It's got to be something that you're comfortable with. That way, when you're having a sales conversation, you are so committed to that number. You're all in and you're like, you're getting the deal of a century here, people. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you have that mindset and you really back your pricing, it it shows like it just translates into to conversions. Yeah. And you've got all this mental fodder in the background going, I know why this price is important. I know why this price works. I could talk, I could justify this package and this price until I run out of bandwidth. Like that's that's how much I believe in this price now, not just put it out there and have it so fragile that the minute they question it, you automatically drop 20% to win the client. Yeah, definitely. Well, Tori, thank you so much for explaining this really. I feel like this reverse engineering of goals concept gets put too much in the woo-woo headspace self-care basket when really it's such a practical component of us doing business on a day-to-day basis. So thank you so much for like walking us through what that actually looks like and how people can go. That isn't actually super woo-woo. That's actually super critical and I need to do that. So for those of you that have heard you talking about all this and can't wait to get you to help them with their goals. How can people get in touch with you? Where can they find find you? How can they get started? So I am, I have my own podcast, Big Ideas Rural and bite-sized binge-worthy short episodes. They're nice and snappy. And then I hang out on Instagram and Facebook, Tori.Kopke, T-O-R-I.K-O-P-K-E. 
I have a mini course that y'all could check out and it is all about goal setting, reverse engineering, 12 month blueprint, and it's called the CEO system. So that might be a really good place to start. It's 97 bucks. Perfect for people starting out in the, I'm ready to invest in myself space. I think I've got that in my list of things I've bought from Tori. So I loved that too. I'll drop the link to that in the show notes. Um, Awesome. And like really enjoy the podcast as well. I almost, I was saying before we started recording, I could have almost done your introduction for you because I've listened to it so much. I could rattle it off as probably good as you could. But thank you so much for sharing your time with me, Tori. I really hope more people come your way and realize just how much value you can bring to them, especially with this goal setting, reverse engineering mentality. Because again, once you know it, you're going to be wondering why you didn't figure it out yourself in the first place. It's so simple. It makes so much sense. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Taking Back Joy. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love for you to leave me a review because it helps me reach other small business owners just like you. The feedback I receive from listeners only makes me more determined to keep creating episodes that make your marketing more efficient and more effective without being stuck to your screen. Thanks, guys. See you next week.